When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get the best merch in the universe with Star Trek products from ParamountShop.com. Shop Galaxy shirts, NX-01 hats, Starfleet Command sweatshirts, and more. You can take 20% off with code TREK20. That's 20% off at checkout on all Star Trek products with code TREK20 at ParamountShop.com. Hello and welcome to the very next episode of Star Trek The Pod Directive. I am one of your hosts, I'm Tawny Newsom. I am the other one of your hosts, I am Paul F. Tompkins. And Tawny, we have a great show today. Yes, woo! This is one of those ones I know we've mentioned before about how we recorded a lot of these interviews, most of these interviews, um, back in the in the before and teen. <laughs> this is one of the ones that I'm like, huh, if I had recorded... <laughs> This interview, anytime recently, I would have asked very different questions. We may not have talked about Star Trek. Yes. There may have been <laughs> no Star Trek in the Star Trek podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But we had a delightful <laughs> chat with Stacey Abrams, who is so uh, smart and funny and personable and relatable. It was a great chat. But let's, I want to check in with you. We're, we're recording remotely, of course. Mm-hmm. You are in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. I am. And how are you doing? I'm do- I'm doing fine. Um, it's a little strange because in order for things to start back up again, everyone's very, very isolated, yeah. which is good. So I'm very isolated. So a lot of times people go like, oh, how's Atlanta? And I'm like, I literally don't know. <laughs> I go from my <laughs> little home to my little work set and that's it. Right. But um, yeah, it's interesting to be talking about Leader Abrams right now while being on her digs, on her, her home turf. Yeah, when we did not know the stuff was coming. I was on set recently for the first time since quarantine, and it's a, a weird mixture of normal and paranoid, where you feel like, oh, I'm doing a familiar thing. I'm going back to work. This is what I'm used to. It's nice to be around other people. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, everyone's wearing masks and shields, and it's sort of you, you absolutely feel the fragility of human life. <laughs> The whole time you're there. You know what I think about? I think about like when um, our live action Trek shows go back, uh, when and if they have. I don't know if they have yet. It Like the masks that we have to wear over some of the like heavy prosthetics and makeup. Like are they going to make oh. them specialty surgical masks to go I, over? Like Saru. Oh my God. There's a lot of face to cover yes. there. These are the things I think about. <laughs> it's also, well, okay, where is your mouth really? I know right. where your mouth is on this thing, but where is your mouth on hey, you? Various alien species, show of hands, <laughs> where are your different mouths? And then we can, because <laughs> it's like where the prosthetic mouth is might not be where the human mouth is. There's a lot to think about in these COVID times. Quick, quiz me on some species. <laughs> um, 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 uh, the, the blue guys with the antennas. Uh, Andorians. Yeah. That was an yes. easy one. Uh, oh, oh, who's, what is the guy, the the sad guy, Deep Space Nine, who's always in the bar? <laughs> Morn, we talked about him before. I don't know what he is. What, it, we don't know what Morn is? Uh, maybe someone smart who's, um, you know, running this podcast with us probably knows, but. 
between the two of us. We don't know. Like a sort of whale, sort of underbelly chin. Yeah, he does. It's like a (laughs) floppy little, it's like a rooster's, like the thing. uh, uh, A waddle? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Thank you. (laughs) How about this, dear listener? After the interview, we'll have taken a break, Mm -hmm. and one of those smart people will tell us, or we'll Google it. Yes. And then we'll tell it to you like we thought of it. Yeah, and and as if you don't already know. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely already know. Oh, wait, we just, we literally just got a chat. It pops up in the chat. It's a Lorian. Hey, congrats. It's a Lorian. It's a Lorian. (laughs) (laughs) When the moon hits your eye and you're on Deep Space Nine, it's a Lorian. There we go. Thank you. Tony, have you ever in your life considered running for public office? Is that something that's ever? No. (laughs) Me neither. I couldn't even let you finish the words. (laughs) You'd be good at it. No, no. I think I'd be good at the meet and greet sort of stuff, but that's that's it. <laughs> you, you've just described signing merch after a show. That's yeah, not a exactly, politician. exactly. But that's make, that that makes me feel like a politician when I do that. Sure. Another place that I've had that politician feel is at a funeral Ooh. when someone in your family dies, and then there's everyone comes back to the house, and they of course they're coming up to you and they're offering your their condolences. You have to give them their moment like it's brand new. You know what I mean? So you get yeah. very used to like a sort of like, oh, hey, th- <laughs> oh, thank you. As if no one has said it before to you the whole day. Wow. I never thought about. Yeah. 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 You have to kind of take care of people a little bit. Yeah. It is kind of a weird performance. That sounds so yeah. jaded. But yeah, yeah. you got to perform a little bit at a mm-hmm. funeral. Oh. It's, it's a really instinctive thing, too. Like it just comes to you like. This person feels bad. I have to make sure they feel as good as they possibly can in this situation. Yeah. The only, I feel like the only time I've ever felt like a politician, and maybe it's more like a, um, maybe diplomat's a better word, or like a peacemaker, mm-hmm. is when I would work in a bar and like t- drunk people would kind of be like getting in a fight with each other and like neither one of them is making sense. You just have yeah. to be like, no, you're right. Yeah, he did look at you wrong, but also like you should just sit down. Is mm-hmm. that what the definition of politics is? Just always talking to two different crazy people? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Not to downplay what our fantastic guest does for a living, but I was like, honestly, I was so happy to talk with her about Trek because she's such a passionate fan. She's so yeah. smart about it. She's eager and like excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And like we say in the interview, but I'm just like, I bet you don't get to just talk about this stuff that often. Everyone who wants to talk to Stacey Abrams is, you know, asking her the tough questions as as they should and she can handle it. But I was happy that we didn't have to do that with her. Yes, me too. It was great fun to, I also, I love people's stories of when they get into something like this and yeah. um, the the whole family dynamic of it and all that. I, I It's so sweet and so nice. And yeah, I just, I really, uh, I really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, me too. Well, we hope you guys enjoy this chat. Why don't you take a listen? It's happening right after this break. Yeah, why don't you? I dare you. I dare you. Get, live a little. Listen. <laughs> John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. From the 
world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. <laughs> Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Our guest today is Stacey Abrams, who made history as the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia in 2018. She was the first black woman to be a major party gubernatorial nominee anywhere in America. Before that, she was the first female Democratic leader of the Georgia House of Representatives. And she's now the force behind Fair Fight, an organization committed to voter outreach and electoral reform. Her 2018 book titled Lead from the Outside, How to Build Your Future and Make Real Change was a New York Times bestseller. This past year, she became the first black woman to deliver the response to the State of the Union address. She's also a huge Star Trek fan since childhood. Leader Abrams, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. <laughs> yes, our, it's our aim to be fun. It is our aim to be more fun than the hard work that you do every day. Exactly. Is that, is that cool? Will this be a respite for you? I, I am deeply appreciative of it and will take full advantage. Hell yeah. Now, you said that your older sister was the one who got you into Star Trek and... What do you remember from that time? What was your first memory of Star Trek? So we grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi, where you had, for most of my childhood, two stations, ABC and TBS. So I did not actually ever see the original Star Trek mm -hmm. because that was a CBS property. But in 1987, they introduced Fox, the good Fox, to Gulfport. <laughs> and Fox carried... Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. My older sister was the only person in our family who had her own room. She also had a television because she was a senior and for some reason special. Ooh. And she was watching this show and she came and got me and said, Stacy, come look at this weird thing. But it looks interesting. So she <laughs> let me into the inner sanctum and I got to sit on her bed and watch the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and we were hooked. My orders are to examine Farpoint. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this galaxy-class USS Enterprise. And I've now watched every Trek possible. So you discovered it at the same time. Like, she just kind of stumbled upon the show and instantly brought you in? So she had about 10 minutes on me. <laughs> she was watching the show, found it interesting, but did not want to watch it by herself. So right. <laughs> I was, now, there's six of us, so I, I, I was the second oldest, so I was the natural... Uh, you know, guinea pig to be, you know, conscripted to the process. But it became the thing that she and I did. Eventually, we let one of our other sisters come and watch it. Uh, and eventually, we got the rest of my siblings at least mildly fascinated with it, if not as hooked as we are. I love that. You were her number one. Like, <laughs> she right. instantly exactly. was like, number That's one, exactly sit next to me. We'll watch this thing together. And then you got you, then you got some Troys and some uh, Geordies in there to, <laughs> to fill it out. How many episodes or seasons was it before you brought somebody else in? I think we let Leslie, who is our third sister, she was allowed to come in and watch probably about five episodes in, oh, okay. but she wasn't as taken by it, so she went back to the main, to the living room and was watching whatever we would normally watch. But she eventually came back, <laughs> and all of my siblings appreciate Star Trek, uh, and my youngest sister, who is the scientist in our family, she's the one who stuck with science longest, she and I... Uh, bonded most recently over Star Trek Discovery, and we convinced Andrea to watch it, and now Andrea bemoans the fact that she didn't watch it when it first started <laughs> streaming. So, Oh, I love those new fans that are now like, how did I miss all the good stuff that it was previously? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that. 
Um, what was most appealing to you about it? What do you think hooked you versus what maybe didn't grab um, Leslie right away about the show? Well, I, I think for me and probably for Andrea, it was the universe that was created. We all loved science fiction and fantasy. I, I think I'm trying to remember which show it competed with. So I think the challenge for Leslie was just uh, loyalty. This was mm. before DVR, so you had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And she chose to stick with whatever we were regularly watching. Andrea and I had been enwrapped enough that we were willing to sacrifice uh, <laughs> our standard fare to watch Star Trek. Uh, but what I loved about it, I loved the diversity of the characters, because you know this is 1987, mm-hmm. uh, and we're watching this in southern Mississippi. So there's this remarkable diversity of characters, but the the you know the the rigor of the show following its prime directive, having these encounters that challenged who people were and who they thought they were. Andrew is going to be going off to college the next year, and you know I'm figuring out who I am as a teenager. And I just I think I loved both the science piece of it, the the stretching of our imagination, mm. but I also just enjoyed the camaraderie of the show. They did an amazing job of connecting these very disparate characters into this cohesive unit that really cared for each other. Yeah, especially in TNG. I mean, people have written at length about the chemistry of, of that cast. Yeah. yeah. How well it came through. So you have said that you are quite the super fan. You've gone on record <laughs> as being a pretty intense fan and someone who knows their stuff. So we want to know how far down the Trek rabbit hole you've gotten. Like, are we talking cons? Are we talking some cosplay? Do you know Klingon? Like, where does it start and end for you? I, I am a super fan, but I'm a super fan that can be found wanting by others. <laughs> I Well, all, all of them can because the, the internet exists. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we we were we took my older sister to uh, Las Vegas for um, one of her bigger birthdays, and it was the four girls in my family. So we took her, and we stumbled across a Star Trek convention, and we were so excited. <laughs> and we went inside. Everyone else is wandering through Vegas looking for parties. And we were the most excited because we we found the Star Trek convention. <laughs> uh, so I did not do cosplay, but we did sneak into the Star Trek convention and enjoyed ourselves tremendously. <laughs> I love that. How did Star Trek shape your political philosophy? I am well known for pointing out that when I became Democratic leader, one of the challenges for my job, I was the first woman to ever lead a party in the history of the state of Georgia. I was the first person of color to lead in the House. And there was no roadmap for me. I had to figure out how to do this. And part of that meant understanding how to do this job when you absolutely were not going to win. I mean, it's in the title, Minority Leader. Mm-hmm. And so I drew great inspiration from the episode Peak Performance with Data when he loses the game of Stratagema mm-hmm. and is compelled to investigate how he frames winning. And, you know, it's the famous moment when Picard says you can do everything right and still not win. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. Which, you know, gave me great comfort every time I had a vote that we lost by you know, a predictable margin. But the other piece was that what Data did at the end when he reconstructed his approach and decided that he was going to not play by the general notion of defeating the other person, but he was going to play to stay in the game. And that's really the responsibility I had as Democratic leader. We weren't going to win most of the battles we were in, but we had to stay competitive. We had to stay in the game. We had to stay relevant. And by shifting my 
construct of what my responsibility was, I was able to make us one of the most successful minority caucuses in the country. We had impact, and we were able to change the dynamic of how politics happened at the Capitol. And I owe that all to data and to peak performance. <laughs> and, you know, a little bit to you know, my colleagues and my training. But <laughs> sure. Mostly of course. data. <laughs> mostly data. And, in fact, we actually have a clip from that TNG episode, Peak Performance, that you mentioned here. So let's play it now. No game of Stratagema has ever gone this high. What did you do? I simply altered my premise for playing the game. Explain. Working under the assumption that Kolrami was attempting to win, it is reasonable to assume that he expected me to play for the same goal. You didn't. No. I was playing for a standoff. A draw. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that episode's incredible. I mean, the other thing I loved about that episode, and you know, the primary story was the story of Will Riker and his ragtag band sent to the decrepit ship. You're outmanned, you're outgunned, you're out-equipped. What else have you got? Guile. And what I also used is the fact that sometimes you have to make do, and you're not going to be as well-resourced and well-equipped as your opponent. In fact, it may be intentional that you aren't, and, and that certainly was the case that I've faced as Democratic leader. We, we simply didn't get the financing that the Republicans received. But much like, uh, you know, when Will Wheaton's character... Wesley Crusher, little baby Wesley. <laughs> when Wesley beams over his experiment. You went back to the Enterprise for that? Wes, you cheated. No, sir. You told me to improvise. That's kind of what we had to do. We had to take pieces from other parts of our lives and other parts of our politics to construct something that could win. And sometimes we had one shot at it. We were going to get one time to completely confuse and befuddle our opponents. Mm -hmm. But if we used it well, the success and the booing effect that it had on our, our caucus was extraordinary. So I love that entire episode from beginning to end. Again, reframing what the rules of the game are and how to play, what the strategy is. Exactly. And sometimes guerrilla warfare is necessary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, sometimes people with very little in common will find they love the same sports team or the same band, has Trek ever helped you find common ground with someone who holds totally different viewpoints from you? I have, not as often as I'd like, but you know, when I, I love Star Trek Voyager and I have caused great controversy by putting Voyager actually above Next Generation in, in my approach, in part because it was its modern iteration created a whole new group of people who liked Star Trek, and mm -hmm. that did give me point of entry for some. I also just love Janeway and the way she had to navigate spaces without having the backstop of the Federation. It's very different to have to be a leader when you are completely cut off from all of the supports that you know. And what is so impressive to me about Voyager is the ability to maintain your principles when they are challenged by no one holding you accountable. Mm. And I, I think while not everyone I know loves Star Trek as much as I do, I think sometimes knowing that I'm a Trekkie has softened their opinion of me. Even if they didn't share my affection, we found out that I was slightly nerdy and not nearly as bad as they thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the nerd common ground uh, can, really, can really bridge a lot of gaps between people I've found. Similarly, the, the politics of Star Trek, do, do you feel that the show's philosophy uh, correlate to policies that could play out in the real world, you know, about international collaboration, cooperation, themes like that? Absolutely. And what's, I think, so 
resonant and why it has continued to have such a hold on our imagination for so many decades is that it, it points out that we're going to constantly be in the struggle of questions of power, questions of primacy, whose needs take precedence, but also that there are ways to resolve these issues. Uh, you know, I think the conflict that plays out in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you know, it's actually not my favorite Trek in part because it is, I think, the most realistic about the conflicts that will always pervade our our humanity, that mm. we will always be in in contention for resources, for dominion, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> and that there will always be this tension. But what's so fantastic about it, and why I still consider it one of the, the great parts of the franchise, is that there is always this glimmer of humanity, this responsibility for cooperation, this adherence to a core set of values, that even in the darkest part of the Trek universe, there was still the light that comes from what that universe demands, which is that we try to find resolution, we try to find cooperation, we try to enjoy the exploration of our connection to others. I've heard you say that before about uh, DS9 and also how your favorite treks are when they're actually out trekking, (laughs) pun intended, I guess. You know, the the trek is what makes trek. And I tend to agree. I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for DS9 because it was the that was kind of my TNG. That was my the age that I was. It made the most sense for me to be watching that with my parents. And then I kind of went back and watched TNG. And something about it, something about Avery Brooks, something about um, the relationship with Jadzia Dax, like that that mm-hmm. Trill relationship to me was so fascinating as a child that, you know, he knew this woman who used to be a man and they were best friends. It was, I, I had never heard of anything like it. It really blew my mind open. But I guess it's just all all Trek. You know, there's something for everybody. <laughs> Later, would you tell us a little bit about your organization, Fair Fight, and what it is you're looking to accomplish with it? Sure. So in the wake of the 2018 election, my internal responsibility was to figure out if I did not get the title of governor, what work could I do that I would have pursued had I become governor? And of course, what concerns that I have coming out of the election. And because our election was marred by voter suppression and because working on voter protection has been part of my life since college, it was natural for me to start an organization whose primary purpose is defeating voter suppression. Fair Fight does that. We focus on three things, litigation, legislation, and advocacy. We began by putting most of our attention in Georgia But in recent months, we have realized that voter suppression needs advocacy across the country. We've certainly known it, but we figured out how we could be a part of it. And so we launched the project Fair Fight 2020, which is in 20 different states that are battleground states, three states that have elections this year, and the 17 states that will be battlegrounds for the presidency, the Senate, or down-ballot races, and particularly chambers that will determine redistricting in 2021. And what we do is we invest. We invest in litigation, making sure that the courts are holding leaders accountable. We invest in legislation, making sure there are not only good laws, but fighting back against bad laws. And we invest in the issues that help people remember why we vote. Voting is not a natural instinct. You do it because you want something. You want to Mm. protect something or you want to defeat something. And we need to remind people of what's possible if they have the full power of their democracy. And so we're proud to be, you know, grounded in Georgia, but working across the country. 
What would you say to uh, people that believe that their votes don't matter, that even if they are informed about the candidates, that the system is rigged and that they just they can't make a difference just by voting? I would tell people that the power of the vote is something that we've become so familiar with, we've actually forgotten its effectiveness. If it weren't so important, there wouldn't be so many rules to try to bar people from using it. Mm -hmm. As eligible citizens who have the right to vote, we have not only an obligation to ourselves and our communities, but we also have an obligation to those who are not permitted to have their voices heard. And so whether it's an issue of how many resources, how much resource are being spent in your community to tackle the issues of health care or overcrowded schools, whether or not we decide that women should have bodily autonomy, you know, all of those issues, they are fundamentally determined by the people who speak for us. And those people are only selected because of how we vote. And so I personally don't want anyone to speak for me that I don't like <laughs> and who I don't trust. And what I tell people is, no, by itself, your vote may not transform the world. But the absence of your vote certainly guarantees that the person who opposes you has a stronger voice. And so our responsibility is to try to level the playing field. A part of that and the corollary to that is an organization I also founded in the wake of the election called Fair Count, uh, because the allocation of resources from the federal government is determined by the census done almost exclusively online, and we have communities that are distanced from technology, and to put it into Trek terms, you know, we've got communities that don't understand warp and don't have access to it, and they're, they're going to be held accountable for a standard that maybe their communities can't meet. And so for me, the launch of Fair Count was about how do we make certain we bring everyone into participation Mm. Fair Fight is about making sure they participate in the democracy, and Fair Count is making sure they participate in the allocation of resources that can make their lives better. That's amazing. All right, I think it's time to ask this question, just to get it on the record. Stacey Abrams, are you now prepared to concede the 2018 election for the governorship of Georgia? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just wanted to make sure you're on the record. Yep, we got it. <laughs> Still not conceding. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I want people to understand. So... Let's bring in Star Trek uh, Discovery. So Star Trek Discovery, for those who haven't watched, although anyone listening to this podcast is probably <laughs> deeply steeped now in the lore, there are obligations that we have. There are things we see and know that must be acknowledged if we are going to make progress and if we are going to defend the rights of others. In my election, we faced unprecedented voter suppression purged roles that were unlawfully done, and some that were done lawfully, but just were done in violation of the fundamental notion of what democracy should look like. We had polling places that were closed. People denied the right to get provisional ballots, which was the last fail-safe for being able to vote. Precincts that were under-resourced. You had every vestige of voter suppression you can imagine. And so what I did on that, my non-concession day, was acknowledge the legal sufficiency of the election. I do not dispute that my opponent is now the governor of Georgia. But <laughs> what I will take issue with forever is that people were denied their voice. And I cannot concede that a system that would steal the voices of the people is right. And mm. sometimes, as we learned from Picard, the fact that it's a law does not make it correct. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can challenge something is by acknowledging that there is a flaw. My responsibility is not to make my life easier by 
going along to get along. My responsibility is to call out the truth when I see it and then do the work to make certain that the next time there's an election, whether I'm on the ballot or not, everyone who's entitled to vote is allowed to vote. Yeah. Otherwise it's death by a thousand cuts. It's, it's, exactly. if you, if you concede here and there, these, these things, because it's just too exhausting to, to keep fighting or to keep talking about it, then, um, it just makes it that you've lost more ground later on. Exactly. It's kind of like the drumhead episode. of Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation. Oh, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Everyone's so excited with your Trek knowledge. You should just, there's just beaming, uh, just smiles all around. Um, so speaking of, I just, I really want to get to the tough questions now. This is, yeah. this is me hard hitting gotcha journalism. If you were in Starfleet, what would be your dream job? Are you a captain? Are you a number one? Are you in engineering? Are you fixing the replicators perchance? I would love to be the captain, but if that job is occupied, I'd actually love to be the pilot. Ooh. Oh, wow. I love race cars and would learn to fly. If I weren't afraid, I would kill myself. Wait a minute. What do you mean you love race cars? Have you driven a race car? Oh, I've, yeah, I love race cars. <gasps> I actually used to watch Formula One racing. I told you, we only had ABC right. and CBS. <laughs> yeah. And so ABC used to carry Formula One racing. So I fell in love with race cars. Oh, that's dope. Cars driving too fast scare me. I'm an under the speed <laughs> limit type of a person, but I really respect this. Well, I got to go to a Porsche uh, racetrack and my, I brought one of my best friends with me. We, we were you know, doing all these different things. And I was spinning out the cars and I was doing a slalom. <laughs> and when we stopped, she said, Stacy. The instructor smiled and laughed and clapped for me, but and then he said, you don't listen. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, he was telling us not to spin out, not to spin out. I was like, that's the most fun. You're like, why else are we here? Oh, I love that. Okay, so pilot. So you're piloting the, yeah. uh, you're piloting the ship. I like this a lot. I would love to be Tom, Tom Paris. I'd love to fly experimental planes. You know, I wouldn't want to go back and, you know, the, I, I wouldn't want my DNA to change so much that we go back to primordial ooze. Sure. But <laughs> I would love to be a pilot. Yeah. Tom Paris is an under-referenced, fantastic character, of course, <laughs> from Star Trek Voyager. Yes. <laughs> Do you own any Trek stuff? Are you like a stuff haver? Are you a collector of anything? So I have Trek books. I am actually looking at the commemorative pen of the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It was given to me by... Uh, the Gene Roddenberry Foundation. I love the shows. And for me, the pure joy of the writing and the characterization and the extraordinary acting, I think too often we underestimate what it takes to suspend the imaginations of viewers and bring them into this space where so much is not only foreign, but complicated. And the ease with which Star Trek makes it accessible that, for me, is the pinnacle of good writing, of good acting, of good storytelling. I, I know we have to let you go pretty soon, but uh, can you tell us, what was meeting Nichelle Nichols like? Enterprise Bridge, Lieutenant Uhura. It was extraordinary. So we were actually on a plane together to Los Angeles, and I was standing in line with uh, my colleague who was flying with me, and I glanced over because uh, she was, at the time, in a wheelchair, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so my assistant thought, you know, who would you see? I'm like, this is Shell Nichols. She's 25. She was not a deep <laughs> Star Trek fan. I'm like, you don't understand. That's Lieutenant O'Hara. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I don't fan girl a lot because mm -hmm. I'm, I like to keep my 
deep and almost obsessive appreciation internalized lest people have to take out restraining orders. <laughs> but this was one of the first times that my, uh, my assistant saw me where I'm like, I've got to go ask her for a picture. And so she came over and she laughed the whole time. She's like, Stacey, you never do this. Like, this is Michelle Nichols. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she was so kind and so sweet and so patient with, you know, it's, it was like a late night flight. I doubt she wanted to talk to anyone, <laughs> probably not even herself. Mm-hmm. And yet she was just so generous with her time and her spirit. And I'm, I'm, I was just honored to be in her presence. Oh, that's a lovely story. It really is. Okay. I know we got to let you go. Lightning round question really fast. I guess it's not a lightning round when it's one question. What I'm saying is I'm going to ask <laughs> I mean, that's, you fast. That's, that sounds to me like lightning. <laughs> one question. That is a lightning round. Okay. Here's a very quick <laughs> hypothetical for you. It's a Stacey Abrams presidential administration. Imagine it. You're the president. You're picking your cabinet. The candidates are Trek characters. Who you got? Secretary of State, Defense, Treasury, who you got? Secretary of State would absolutely be Jean-Luc Picard. If we're going to be damned, let's be damned for what we really are. Uh, Vice President would go to Captain Janeway. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. Secretary of Defense would be Cisco. Ooh. Fortune favors the bold. I would make certain that your Secretary of Energy is Michael Burnham. Oh, yes. The real world doesn't always adhere to logic. Sometimes down is up. And I would make certain that I created space for almost every other life form in some place in the cabinet, just because we need to have a cabinet that is reflective of the eventual federation of planets. I love that. Even a Cation, even got a cat person in there. Okay. Hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Leader Abrams, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me this time to completely and wholly have my Star Trek fandom pronounced to the world. We are happy to provide that for you. Ha- truly, any time. <laughs> Call us anytime you want to talk about this stuff, you know, when you're not busy doing difficult things. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Live long and prosper. Well, there you go. What a fun time that was. I agree. That was a very fun time. I thought you had more of your sentence, but no, it was it was great. I was just <laughs> remembering back to when we got the chance to talk to her. I was so not surprised that she wanted to talk to us, but like just so excited when we got the word back that it was like, yeah, you get to interview Leader Abrams. That's cool. I know that was that. Yeah, that was one of our earliest confirmations. And it was uh, it was a good feeling. We felt like we're going down a good road here. We should mention her documentary that is available now, All In, A Fight for Democracy, which is uh, all about voter suppression and how to uh, change that. Uh, Yeah, the documentary is by filmmakers Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez. And I think Ms. Abrams uh, often says that, you know, she's not the star of the documentary, (laughs) but she's very heavily featured in it. And she provides a lot of great insight. As Paul said, it's all about voter suppression and the activists who fight for the rights of U.S. citizens. It's very, very good. Yeah, so please do check that out. And that is it for us, right? Yeah, I think so. We gotta get out of here. We gotta go. I think we're done. I think we did it. If you have any other questions for us about why we didn't ask Ms. Abrams tough (laughs) questions, just hang on to them, because you're right. (laughs) But there's nothing we can do now. We realized after that interview, ah, we should make this a gotcha show where everyone that comes on, we try to trap them in a, in a corner yeah. and uh, make them say things they don't want to say. And the uh, idea occurred to us too late when we had a politician on the show. So we do apologize for that. Yeah, that would have been fun for everyone involved. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait till next week when we have Tig Notaro on. I'm going to rake her over the coals. Yeah, watch out, Tig. Just kidding. We already recorded that. It's very pleasant. <laughs> it's very pleasant. Okay, Paul. All right, Tawny. It was great to see you as always. It's great to see you through this computer screen. Yeah, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Hey. It's like we're on Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> on screen. My friend Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will get at you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review and all of those things. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, we're really enjoying doing it, and we hope you're enjoying listening to it, and we hope there's other people out there that you know that will enjoy it, too. Yes, we just want people to enjoy. We don't want anyone to be mad. No, don't send it to mad people. Love you. Bye. Bye. Want more Trek? If you live in the U.S., go to CBS All Access for classic episodes of Star Trek The Original Series. Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Star Trek Voyager. And Star Trek Enterprise. And new seasons of Star Trek Discovery. And Star Trek Picard. In Canada, watch Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard on Bell Media's CTV Sci-Fi Channel. Star Trek Discovery streams on Netflix in 188 countries. And Star Trek Picard does the same on Amazon Prime. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew, pew.